Good morning. Happy Sunday, Highland Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to the biblical book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, 1 to 11. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, as we gather in living rooms, family rooms, looking at electronic screens, we pray that you would knit our hearts together, that our worship would be sweet. You are so worthy of worship. Father, of course, we ask for the pandemic to end, for protection on those who are facing sickness or worse, protection for those who are out on the front lines. Father, we pray for our hearts that grieve the loss of so many things we prefer to do and worry over what's going on in our world. But for an hour or so, Lord, let us focus on you in our worship and let it carry over into the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, and the years ahead. Father, you again are worthy of worship. May you be worshiped as we study your inspired, inerrant word. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. There are many ways to distinguish between happiness and joy. Lots of legitimate ways. One way is happiness comes from happenings and joy comes from Jesus. Happiness is temporal, it's earthly. Joy is eternal, it's relational with Jesus. Let me illustrate it through the life of Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway, as many of us know, is a very interesting guy. Perhaps you've read some of the books. I loved his Old Man on the Sea, in which he received a Pulitzer Prize in 1953. I love the, the book, To Whom the Bell Tolls, kind of macabre. It's, it's kind of dark, written in 1940. Or how about The Bearing of Arms in 1929? These are some of the classics of Ernest Hemingway. Now, if you know about Ernest Hemingway, you know he was into happenings. He was into instantaneous happiness. He was an adventurer. In World War I, he tried to enlist, but because of a bad eye, he was turned down. So he joined the Red Cross. He went to the front. He served in an ambulance. And in fact, he was awarded for valor. One particular soldier was shot, and in the face of heavy artillery coming at him, he rescued that man, endured some wounds from mortar, endured some wounds from uh, machine gun fire, and was awarded for it. Later on, he served as a war correspondent in the Spanish War in the 1930s. He also served when China brutally invaded, or excuse me, Japan brutally invaded China in 1937. He was at the front lines. He was at the front lines in many of the darkest and brightest days of World War II. He was there on June 6, 1944, D-Day, the invasion of Normandy. He was there when Paris was liberated in August of 1944. 
He was at the Battle of the Bulge in December of 1944 and January of 1945. And he wrote about all of these events. He was a man that knew some of the most famous individuals in the world, kings, monarchs, presidents, as well as people like bullfighters or professional fighters or the like. He had an interesting life. Ernest Hemingway was a guy who loved to hunt. He actually was mauled by a lion because rather than hunting, he thought he would pet the lion. Probably not very smart. He's a guy who shot himself when he was hunting uh, sharks in the uh, Cuban coast with a gun. And instead of the shark, he shot himself. He lived in Cuba at one point and Key West at another. I remember a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Key West for about 35 hours. I was there with my parents and my son Isaiah, and we went to the Hemingway estate. And what I remember most is the polydactyl cats. Uh, Poly means many, dactyl means toe. He was given a six-toed cat by a captain named Dexter. Uh, polydactyl cats were especially helpful on ships because with the six paws, they were great mousers. And in fact, they had better balance as the ship would sway back and forth. From that one cat is 60 cats today. That's what I remember about the Hemingway house. Hemingway lived a remarkable life. On one particular occasion, uh, he was in a plane crash got back into another plane, and it crashed again. Who survives two plane crashes in the same day? That would be Ernest Hemingway. He chased happiness, and he had the finances to chase happiness, which are happenings, but he didn't have joy. We have absolutely no evidence that Ernest Hemingway had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And towards the end of his life, he would sit on a bar stool for hours on end, draining and drowning his sorrows. He would drink dry martinis. It was said that towards the end of his life, the last number of years, he drank on average a quart of whiskey every single day. And according to Carlos Baker, his biographer, it was a bright Sunday day when he was 61 that he took his own life with a gun. He constantly talked about the dark days, the black days, he called them, the darkness. Because if he wasn't having happiness from a happening, he had no settled joy to carry him over. Now, I like happenings. I like some of the adventures of Ernest Hemingway. I like adventures. I like happenings, especially if they include golf clubs, tramping over ancient ruins, spending time with family. I love happenings, but it's not enough. We need settled joy. Joy from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy that never ends, that carries us through the dark dog days today 
and carries us into eternity tomorrow. That's what Paul writes about in the book of Philippians. I want to pick up and I want to read from Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants, it's, it's douloi, it's actually the word slave. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints, that is, those who have come to the end of themselves, confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. By faith, believe in Jesus, his death as a payment of our sin, his resurrection as evidence of life after the grave, believing and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Those who have done that, if you've done that, you're a saint. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, it's the word for elder, with the elders and the deacons, grace, what you don't deserve, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine with you, all making my prayer with joy. Paul prays with joy because of who he's praying for and who he is praying to. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure, I'm certain I have 100% certainty on this. There's no doubt. There's no wiggle room. I am sure of this. That he, Jesus, who began a good work in you through faith in him, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Your salvation is secure in Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, desmois. I think the NIV got it right. It's not really the word for imprisonment. It's the word for chains. Both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, the return of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, due to COVID-19, I've kind of switched away from what I was preaching. Five weeks ago, I was in the midst of 1 Corinthians. We'll come back to it. I'll preach the rest of the book. But the last four weeks, we have kind of left 1 Corinthians. And, and for the next number of weeks, we're going to continue to leave 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go to Philippians. Scholars call Philippians the book of joy. And who doesn't need joy at a time like this? We need joy in the midst of COVID-19. We need joy after COVID-19. In fact, may I encourage some of you who especially feel the need for joy, why don't you join me over the next four weeks and three times a week for four weeks, let's 
read through the book of Philippians in its entirety. It's really only 102 verses. It's only four chapters. You can read it easily three times a week for four weeks, 12 times. Who doesn't need joy? And if you want to do that and you want someone to just send you an encouragement a couple times, how are you doing? Send me an email at office at highlandcommunitychurch.com or to my personal email. And a few times in the next four weeks, I'll just send you an encouragement saying, how are you doing? Keeping up, reading three times a week for four weeks, reading about joy, asking God to give us joy. It's the book of joy. Now, Paul begins in verses 3 and 4, saying that when I bring you Philippians before the Lord, when I bring your faith before the Lord in prayer, I do so with joy. Joy is the theme. Now, this is the interesting part. Paul is under house arrest. He's been relegated to staying inside, to cocooning. He's kind of in a similar situation than we are in, but much worse. Paul is in prison for the sake of the gospel. We could understand if Paul said, Lord, I don't get it. Lord, by the power of your spirit, I've written scriptures. Before I die, I'll plant 60 churches. I'll be on several different continents. I'll be on three large missionary journeys. I'll suffer. I'll be beaten. I've done all these things for you, God. And for the last four and a half years, God, I've been incarcerated. I've been in change. It's not quite fair. We could expect a little bitterness on Paul's part. But that's not what we get. Paul tells us that he is filled with joy because he understands that happiness is from happenings, but joy is from a relationship with Jesus. And he puts the relationship with Jesus forefront in his life. And even in spite of the fact that he would never choose the last four and a half years of difficulty, he has joy. He has joy in the midst of being homebound. He has joy in the midst of being arrested. He has joy. Now, as I mentioned, the word imprisonment in verse 7 is not exactly right. It's desmoist. The NIV got it right. It's chains. Paul has been in chains. Now, if you've been in Rome, perhaps you've visited the Mamertine prison. And when you were in the Mamertine prison, it's very moving. You rightly learned that both Peter and Paul were in that very cell that is about 3,000 years old and it's below the ground. But that's A.D. 64, 65, 66. That's the time period in which Paul will be martyred for the faith. We're in A.D. 61. We're not quite to that very heavy Nero persecutions. It's starting, it's ramping up, but it will energize even more. And Paul will find himself back in the slammer in the Mamertine prison. But that's not where he is right now. Let me just kind of summarize Paul's last Four years and three months. He was in a Judean prison for two years. He was in a prison for the sake of the gospel, for sharing about Jesus Christ, for telling people 
that salvation is only through faith in Christ, that we must come to the end of ourselves, confess that we are sinners, and accept Jesus' death as a payment of our sin, and his resurrection as evidence of life after the grave, believe in Christ as Savior, and have him lead our lives as Lord. And for teaching that truth, he was placed in a prison in Judea for two years. And frankly, over the last couple years, his particular crime, crime, was not going to court. His docket was not being called. He was in bondage, but it seemed like he would rot forever in a Judean prison. And he's a Roman citizen, so he did what a Roman citizen has the right to do. He appealed to Caesar, who at this time is Nero, probably not the guy you want to appeal to. But he feels like if he doesn't appeal to Caesar, he'll rot forever in a Judean prison, and he doesn't want to do that. And so he appeals to Caesar after two years in a Judean prison, and he boards a ship with guards, and he heads from Judea some 1,450 miles, if it were a straight line, across the Mediterranean to Rome. And you remember a storm comes up, and the ship is sunk off the island of Malta. They're traveling in late fall. It's too late to get another ship. They need to winter in Malta. And so under guard, he spends three months shipwrecked on Malta. Spring hits, and they finally get a ship to Rome, and and then he's imprisoned. He's chained. Now, my text actually says chained to the imperial guard, but the Greek text actually says the praetorian guard. There is a subtle difference. The imperial guard is not likely who Paul is chained to. The imperial guard is an eight-member security of Caesar himself. It is the elite of the elite. It is SEAL Team 6. It's Delta Force. He is chained to the Green Berets between nine and 10,000, the Praetorian Guard, and he spends his time chained day in and day out to several of these guards. These are not guys you want to tick off, and here they are. They're babysitting Paul. And this goes on for two years. Two years. This is a miserable existence. And yet Paul says, I'm still filled with joy. He's filled with joy because his expectation is not on happenings, which brings happiness. His expectation is on Jesus that gives him a settled joy because he knows he has a relationship with Jesus, not only now, but forever. Do you hear the word forever? That's what he says in verse 6 when he says, I am sure of this, I'm certain of this, I have a word from God on this, that he, Jesus if you know Jesus as Savior, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. In the day of Christ Jesus, he will bring his followers home to eternity. And that gives Paul settled joy. Is he happy in his circumstances? Who could possibly be happy? Two years in a Judean prison, shipwrecked on Malta, Two years in Rome waiting to face Nero, who is no friend of Christ's followers. 
The happiness from happenings isn't happening, but the joy from a relationship with Jesus, which is forever, gives him a settled confidence so that Paul can say, I have joy. And he writes the book of joy. The book of joy. 16 times in 104 verses, Paul mentions joy, kara, or Cairo, to rejoice. Two more he mentions, rejoice with, sin, Cairo. So that would be 18 times in 104 verses. Or every 5.7 verses, he mentions something about joy, rejoicing, or rejoice with. It's the book of joy. Who doesn't need a little bit more joy? Maybe some of you will join me reading through Philippians three times a week for four weeks so that we might get a new infusion of what it means to have joy in Christ. Joy in Christ. So what are the keys to joy? Well, the first key is to know who we are in relationship to who God is. I love the way the book begins, but it's not the way I would have begun it. Paul writes... Paul and Timothy, servants, douloi, slaves. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the way that you would begin a book? (laughs) Not me. Not if I wanted to gather attention. I might begin a book more like Philippians 3, 4 to 6. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, (laughs) get behind me, I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, Paul was raised in the most kosher of kosher families in Judaism. They kept even the smallest Jewish kosher law. Of the people of Israel, I was the tribe of Benjamin. There are 12 tribes, eventually 14 tribes, Benjamin is one of the top two. He's got blue blood coursing through his veins. A Hebrew of Hebrews. That means he could actually read the Old Testament in the Hebrew language. You say, well, couldn't all Jews? No. Most have been Hellenized at this point. They knew Greek, but they didn't know Hebrew. Only someone who had a Harvard education. He studied under Gamaliel. He studied under the best rabbi of his day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. There's only 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. He's one of them. There were the religious lay leaders. They're the creme de la creme of the religious society. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That means that prior to coming to Christ, when he's on the road to Damascus, He has letters not only from Jews, he has letters from Rome. He's putting people to death. Jews can't put other people to death without letters from Rome. He is well connected. As to righteousness under the law, he's blameless. He's not saying he's sinless. He knows that there are sins of omission. He knows that there are sins of attitude and thought and motive. But of the 613 Levitical laws... He said, from my youth, I've kept them perfectly. Now that's the way to introduce himself. That's the way to to win people over, right? But not for Paul. 
Paul wants us to understand where joy comes from. It doesn't come from happenings. It doesn't even come from credentials. That might be happiness, but joy comes from knowing to whom you belong, to whom has your back, not only temporally, but eternally. Joy comes from being a slave of Jesus Christ, from knowing who your master is. Hemingway didn't serve Jesus Christ. He had lots of masters, including the bottle, but he didn't have the master. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24? He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll love the one and hate the other. Nobody can serve both God and mammon. And I've got to step back. And I've got to ask in a COVID-19 world, who's your master? Who's my master? What are we focusing on most? Is it joy in Jesus? Or is it the tyranny of a pandemic? What has most of our attention? Are we focusing on the fear of COVID-19? I would never say that we shouldn't have some fear and worry. That's just human. But I want that fear to be overwhelmed with my love for God, my growth in God, my commitment to God, time in prayer, time in the Word. It's about Jesus because joy comes from a relationship in Jesus. What's the master right now? Is the master the stock market, which goes up and down and up and down? Is it a job? I want to walk lightly because some of you are furloughed. Some of you have lost your jobs, and, and my heart really goes out to you. And you're wondering how you're going to pay your bills, and, and that's a legitimate fear, a legitimate worry. But even in the midst of that, let's keep our eyes on Jesus who can bring joy, a settled confidence in the midst of the storms. Who's our master? For some, in a time like this, too much time on one's hands, sent home, maybe it's pornography. Or maybe it's a thought life that's out of control. Who's our master? It needs to be Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Jesus. And knowing who their master is, Jesus, gives them joy. The happenings, the happiness may not be taking place. But there's a settled joy knowing that COVID-19, no matter how ravishing it may be, it cannot take away the fact that if we know Jesus, we belong to Jesus. And Paul is certain of this truth that he who began a good work in us will be faithful. Paul, Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, that brings them joy. I've known some pastors in my day that they insist on being called doctor. Really? Like anyone really cares? Really? Now, if you're a surgeon and you're about to cut into me, Please introduce yourself as doctor. And please tell me that all your board certifications are up to date. Absolutely. But as a Christ follower in the kingdom, there is no higher calling than being a servant, a slave 
of Jesus Christ because it points to the fact that he's the master and him being the master gives us confidence in his lordship. We want confidence in Jesus. He's the master. That's the first key to joy, knowing who you serve and being under his lordship. The second key we've talked about several times, and that's our security. It's certainly in verse 6, but it's actually earlier where Paul says that he's writing to the saints. You know what saints are? They're those who believe in Jesus Christ. If you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have believed in Christ, Paul calls you, unbelievably me, he calls us saints. There's some confusion sometimes in the church about sainthood, right? We have five steps in certain denominations to sainthood. First is you got to die. That's comforting. You got to be six feet under and at least in the dirt for five years to be a saint. Second, if you're a particularly godly individual and you've been in the dirt for five years, they might call you a servant of God. That's the second step. Paul says that we're slaves of God, we're servants of God just by knowing God. We don't need to wait until we're in the dirt. Third, if you're a particularly godly person, you've been in the dirt for five years or more, and we've given you the title servant of God, then we do a little bit more examination of your life. We vet you a little bit further. And if things go well, we call you venerable. I like that. Venerable Jeff. Exactly nobody has ever called me that. Venerable Jeff. And then if somebody can attach a miracle to a prayer that I offered to the Lord that God answered, that's called beatification, and I'm called blessed not only venerable Jeff, but blessed Jeff. And then if you can attach a second miracle that I prayed for that God answered while I was on earth, you'd be called saint. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you and I know Jesus Christ, we're saints, and you can't be unsainted once God saints us. That's why Paul says, and I am certain, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what brings me joy? It's my confidence. First, it's the master, the one who's in control, the lordship of Christ. He's in control. COVID-19 is not. Keep my eyes on Jesus. Second, it's the certainty that if I belong to him, I will always belong to him. COVID-19 can cause me to be sick. It can tragically even take life. But COVID-19 cannot, cannot stop me from being a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It cannot stop the fact that I am justified, declared righteous. It cannot stop the fact that I am adopted as a child of the king. It cannot stop the fact that God is working in and through me a process of sanctification to become more and more like Jesus. It can't stop the fact that I have been redeemed, that someday when my life is over, my soul will go into the presence of God to be joined later by a glorified body at the trumpet of Christ. COVID-19 can't stop any of that. It can stop some 
happenings and happiness. It can't stop settled joy in my relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the master. He's the Lord. And he has guaranteed my future inheritance because of what he did for me. And it brings joy. It brings joy. Joy also comes in our obedience. In fact, Paul says joy comes when he sees obedience in others. Let me read verses 7 and 8 again. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul has joy because he's seen faith being worked out among the Philippians. I know what that's like. I remember uh, about a month ago, we were at the, you can't gather in groups any more than 250. We had that for like less than one week. Remember that? And I remember that week, uh, a gal came in. She has a compromised immune system. She was going to go into cocooning. She needed to do that for her health. But one of the last things she did was she dropped by a benevolent check because she knew some people might be unemployed or need groceries. And it warmed my heart. Here's this woman with a compromised immune system who's going to go into cocooning because if she doesn't, she dies or could get very sick. And she's thinking of others. Paul said that's exactly what's going on in his life. Paul's a tent maker by trade, right? That's what he does. When's the last time Paul made tents? Four years, three months ago. Two years in a Judean prison. Three months shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Two more years waiting to face Nero. And see, we don't really think this way in the 21st century because if you go to prison, tax dollars pretty much cover your room and board. That's not true in the Roman Empire in the first century. Paul had to pay daily rent. Paul had to pay the salaries of the guards that were watching over him. And people had to bring him food and water every day or he would starve or thirst to death. Who's been doing that? The Philippians. For four years, three months, they've been paying Paul's bills. And such generosity causes joy. For a moment, I want to talk to those of you who call Highland your church. I know others are listening. I'm thankful. Maybe you'll call this your church after COVID-19. We'd love that. Maybe you already call at your church and, and plan to listen to the messages even after COVID-19 ends. We'd love that. But for a moment, I want to talk to Highlanders. For five weeks, we haven't collected an offering. In fact, for five weeks, I haven't mentioned offering. But you know what's happening? So many of you know that our bills have not ended. So many of you know that we have pledged about a half a million dollars a year to missions and benevolent. And we have a staff that continues to work 
45, 50, 60, 70 hours every week, many at home, some in the building each day. You know our bills don't end, and, and so many of you, so many of you, continue to send in offering. And though I don't see the names in the, the checks, I just get the totals, my heart is warmed by your generosity. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. I'm asked over and over again, how are we doing financially? We're doing fine. We're running about $15,000 deficit a week. That sounds alarming, but we have a fair amount of savings. And the truth is, in each of the five weeks, the, the giving has increased a little bit from the week before. We're doing fine, and we are just so thankful you warm our hearts. How do we get joy? Well, you might start by reading the book of Philippians over and over again, the book of joy. You get joy by making sure that Christ is the master not COVID-19, not the stock market, but Christ is the master. May we keep our eyes on Christ and may it give us joy. We get joy knowing that we have a certainty if we know Jesus, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That we are adopted, that we are his children, that we have an eternity with God in a place that Jesus prepared in heaven. That gives us joy. It gives us joy when we walk in obedience, and it gives us joy when we see others walk in obedience. Right now, I don't know that I would call myself happy. I'm okay. I'd like to do some things. Happy comes from happenings, and some of those happenings aren't happening. But I've got great joy. Great joy, and, and some of it is because of all of you. I think of our medical fields, our technicians, our nurses, our doctors who are on the front lines. Thank you. I think of our first responders who are in the streets keeping us safe in the midst of this. Thank you. I think of those who work at grocery stores or in factories, deliver mail, pick up garbage, work in restaurants. Thank you. I think of my coworkers, some of whom come in every day and work very long hours so that the 10 or 15 Bible lessons go out every week. Thank you. Hundreds, really thousands of masks have been made by Highlanders and given to our community. Thank you. There's a lot of you who are doing many things out in the community, picking up groceries for those who shouldn't go into grocery stores. Thank you. We may not get all of the happenings or the immediate happiness. But we can have joy. Joy because Christ is the master, because our salvation is guaranteed, because we are walking in obedience and we see others walk in obedience. That brings joy. Let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you for so many who are doing so much. We pray for wisdom for our world leaders, our national leaders, our state leaders, our local leaders, that they would know when and how to open up the economy at the right time, whatever that would be. Father, we thank you for those who are fighting the disease and doing the testing and caring for the sick. Give them strength. For those who are serving at home, for teachers who are trying to teach uh, virtually, for parents who have become teachers as well, beyond what they have done before academically. Give strength, give wisdom. Allow our next generation not to fall behind. Father, end this pandemic, we ask. Bring an inoculation. Bring healing and comfort the grieving. And Father, in the midst of us, help us to keep our eyes on you. Give us joy. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.